throughout the week, if you remember in your devotions and your time of prayer to remember those brothers and sisters that are across the globe that are suffering for their faith. If you're here today and you're visiting, we're so glad that you are here, and we hope you enjoy your time with us. And as we just now take some time to get into God's Word and see what He has for us this morning, turn to Mark chapter 6. Mark chapter 6, we are continuing this idea of following the Master, following Jesus. Just kind of a recap of what we've learned so far in the book of Mark. Well, we've learned that Jesus is busy serving. Remember, we've seen that word immediately 40 times in the book of Mark, and it gives us this idea that Jesus was busy going about serving people. We also learned in our study that we need to be excited. When the, when the man of Gerasene, was, the demon was taken out of him, he went to his hometown to share what Jesus had done for him. And would encourage us, listen, we need to share the good things that God has done in our life. Be excited and share about this God in which we serve. We also learned this idea of taking time to serve. Jesus, that one day when he was busy healing and, and, and doing miracles, he took time with the woman with the blood disease who touched his garment. He was on his way to Jairus' house to heal or to raise his daughter from the dead. He took time to serve Brothers and sisters, we need to take time to serve and minister to people. And as we do that, the whole purpose as we serve is to point people to Jesus. Is to point people to Jesus. That's why we do what we do. There was an interview with the San Francisco 49ers head coach at one time, Bill Walsh. Any 49er fan out there? Good. We'll move on. He shared, I guess it's better to be a 49ers fan now than an Eagles fan, but anyway, we'll just stop there. Boo, I know, get off the stage again, I get it. He would prepare his team for some worst-case scenarios because as an athlete, they will arise on the field or on the court. He confronted his players to deal with these two particular issues, adversity and injury. They're the two most crippling disadvantages a team would face. Walsh spent time talking to his team about how when he played on enemy territory, how they were to think and take the field. He turned these mental disadvantages into advantages by changing the player's approach to the situation. He taught them about the fears they would have. He would prepare the, the bench players to step up at the moment's notice when an injured, a star player was injured that they would now take the helm and lead the team to victory. You see, Walsh, I use that illustration because Walsh is a good example for us as Christians as we encourage one another, we identify obstacles in our life. We need to have a, mindly God's, a, a godly mindset that focuses us as we fight the adversity that Satan always and daily brings our way. No one likes rejection, do we? Okay, one person doesn't like rejection. We don't like rejection. Whether you go back to your, your, your childhood days at the playground when you're picking teams for recess and not getting picked on the dodgeball team or being the person everyone's going after on dodgeball. I don't even know if they play dodgeball anymore. But rejection's not fun. Or that, that first person that you liked and they rejected you, you didn't get invited to the prom, that rejection hurts. Or not making that team, not making that cut, rejection hurts. Rejection is not fun, but do you know that Jesus was rejected many times in his earthly ministry? Do you know that Jesus was rejected, as we'll see today, was rejected by his own hometown? 
So let's look at Mark 6, 1 through 6 as we start and see how Jesus handled this rejection. Now, put yourselves in that place. You're going home. You're going to your hometown. And here he is rejected. He went away from there and began and came to his hometown, which was Nazareth. And his disciples followed him. And on the Sabbath, he began to teach in the synagogue. And many who heard him were astonished, saying, where did this man get these things? What is the wisdom, wisdom given to him? How are such mighty works done by his hands? Is not this the carpenter, you know, the, the son of Mary, and the brothers of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon? Are not his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. Okay, so here's Jesus coming back to his hometown, Nazareth. They took offense to him. They were, they were degrading him here in these comments, and we'll explain that in a moment. And Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor, except in his hometown, except his relatives and his own household. And he could do no mighty work there, except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. And he marveled because of their unbelief, and he went about among the villages teaching. See, despite his impressive words and his impressive actions of healing and miracle working, to them he was just an ordinary guy. See, the derogatory comments of, isn't he just, just a carpenter? He's just, he's just that carpenter. A common laborer, just like us. Like, you see, his brothers and sisters are living right among us. He's, he's just plain old Jesus. To the townspeople, that's what he was. So that, the statement that he's a carpenter is, he's just, he's just one of us. He's a construction worker. The second comment of, of Mary's son, a, 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 a man was never identified by his mother in this culture. If we go back to the Gospels, we see James and John were the son of Zebedee. We go to the Old Testament, David was the son of Jesse. It, in this culture, you were identified as your father or your father's line. Here, he was identified as his mother. And Joseph had been dead probably seven, many, many years, but he was running the business. The, the second derogatory thought here is that if they remember the, con the, the conceiving of Mary by the Holy Spirit, and you remember the cultural issues that were happening. This time. Oh, Mary, that's Mary's son, Jesus. You know, Jesus, you know, we don't even know what was going on there. You know, Joseph was going to put her away. Do you, do you see the, the, the derogatory comments that this was pushing towards Jesus? See, this is the second time that he returned to Nazareth. See, in the meantime, he was doing what the prophet Isaiah said. He was preaching to the poor. Preaching the good news. He was, he was healing the brokenhearted. He was preaching deliverance to the captives. He was healing the blind. Again, we studied a few weeks ago, he even rose Jairus' daughter, the Pharisee's daughter from the dead. If you remember the woman who had the blood disease, just even people wanted to touch his garment just for a chance of being healed. But he comes to Nazareth, his own hometown, and they rejected him. Why their unbelief? Who did they see this Jesus as? Well, we kind of understand by how they answered this. See, they knew facts about Jesus. He was the son of Mary. He was a carpenter. He had brothers and sisters. No doubt. Think, think about this a minute. Jesus was a carpenter for 30 years. Remember, his father Joseph was a carpenter. He was a construction worker. So Jesus took over that business. No doubt, these individuals took their broken yokes to Jesus' shop. In fact, they probably bought some equipment from Jesus. No doubt some of the very furniture that is in their house was made by Jesus. 
He was just ordinary carpenter, construction worker, Jesus. Even some of them may even held him as a child, maybe watched him as a child. He was just normal, everyday Jesus the carpenter. What about the world today? See, there are many people today in unbelief. They think they know who Jesus is. They formed their opinions. They've heard remarks and statements about Jesus, but they've never searched out Jesus for themselves. And maybe you're here today. Maybe you are searching. You're here because you're searching. I'm glad you're here. You're trying to figure out this God stuff. You're trying to figure out your faith. You're trying to figure out this church. You're trying trying to put it all together. God's working in your heart. You're here for a purpose. See, the claims of Jesus are so radical, but the consequences of not believing are so, so important. Understand that. See, the gospel tells us, whoever believes in the Son has life. Whoever doesn't believe in the Son does not have life. That's the consequence of not understanding who this carpenter Jesus is. And I say the word is because he's alive and he's well today. Amen. And he sits at the right hand of the Father as Eric led that song of praise and name. And we look forward to come in the clouds to take his bride. Listen, the stakes are high for us to keep. And maybe you're here to, you're trying, you have this idea of who Jesus is. And that's all you've, you've figured out in your mind of what you've been told. But Luke tells us this in Acts 4.12. He says this, and there is salvation in no one else. There is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. This Jesus that Nazareth rejected is the Savior of the world. He's the one who salvation goes through, the only one, the only way to heaven. I am the way, the truth, and life. No one comes to the Father but by me. That's this carpenter Jesus because he wasn't just a carpenter. He was the second person in the Trinity. He is the son of the very living God. So principles for living. We have four principles that are living this morning. And the first one is for those individuals that may be watching live or you're here today and you're just searching. You're trying to figure this all out. I want to just tell you this. Our first principle is for you this morning. Your life can change. Your life can change with Jesus. Your life can change with Jesus. I was raised in a Christian home for the most part. My toddler years, my parents were not saved. My parents got saved when, I, when they were in their mid-20s. My father was a Vietnam vet, a Marine, came, comes home, lived in Lancaster, and he got bought into the drug scene, the rock music scene. He was a musician. So his evening would look like he'd come home at 11, or he would get off work at 11 o'clock, and he would, he would travel the party scenes till 4 or 5 in the morning. That was his life. Drugs, alcohol, all the, 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 the works. You guys, maybe some of you lived that life. My mom was, had me until I was two. My brother was, she was carrying my, 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 my brother, um, still waiting to be born, of course, and my mom was ready to just take off on my dad. Then something happened. God divinely summoned my father, and he accepted the call of salvation. But what I want to share with you is my mom did not right away. Because here's this ugly hippie guy walking in the home, always drugged out and drunk out of his mind. Now he comes home at 11.15 at night. The next day, his hair is cut, his beard's trimmed. Instead of LSD and marijuana on the coffee table, there's a Bible and a devotional book. He goes to church now on Sunday. My mom goes, whoa, what is going on here? My mom was watching him. 
So one morning when he went to church, Sunday morning he went to church, my mom turned on the television for a TV preacher. She didn't even remember who it was. And then all she remembers is the TV preacher was looking like right at her. You need Jesus for salvation. And that morning, got down on the couch there in our living room floor in Lancaster City, and she trusted Jesus Christ as her Savior. Then when my dad came home, my mom goes, I know what happened to you. I know what happened to you. See, my mom was raised Lutheran, so she understood Jesus, of how she was taught Jesus to be, this nice guy, he's a rabbi, good prophet, good guy. He did a lot of good things for the world, but what changed her mind? What did she see? She seen the effects of Jesus in someone else. And maybe some of you here have that same testimony. You understood who this Jesus was, but now you see the effects. Man, if Jesus can do that to you, he can do that for me. And here I'm telling you this morning, if you're here today, you're watching online, Jesus can change your life. And you look around here, there's a couple hundred people that Jesus has changed their life. Don't be like the people of Nazareth who rejected the person who, come, who came to die for their sins to save them He's waiting for you. He is, if you're here today, he's calling you. There's not a mistake. You're here, not here. You're here by mistake. Accept him today. So what do we see Jesus doing after he's rejected by his hometown? He, no doubt, I don't think he was offended. He's God. He knew this was going to happen. But if it was us, we probably would run with our tail between our legs and woe is me and get some, a month of counseling because we're offended in our culture today. I say that, that you know, I'm just kidding. But what did Jesus do here? Look at verse 6. And he went about among the villages teaching. He didn't let this rejection stop him because he knew what his purpose was. Jesus continued preaching the message of repentance, telling of the good news of the kingdom of God because he knew what his reason and his purpose was on earth. Brothers and sisters, we have to ask ourselves, what is your purpose why are we here as Christians living in this dark world? We have to be reminded what our purpose is. So what do we see him doing? Look at verse 7 now in Mark chapter 6. And he called the twelve and began to send them out two by two and gave them authority over the unclean spirits. So here he was giving them power to do these things. He charged them to take nothing for their journey except a staff, no bread, no bag, no money in their belts, but to wear sandals and not to put on two tunics. That's the rules for these 12 men leaving. So what do you see Jesus doing here? You know what he's doing? He's replicating himself. He is training these 12 men. Hey, I want you now to go do what I did here. I want you to go there. And I want you two to go here. He, this, he's sending them on a short-term missions trip. That's what he's doing here. Can you imagine with me? If you will, you're one of those disciples. There's this, but there's throngs of people that are following Jesus. Remember we said, gave the beetle analogy, when the beetles came to America, everyone was like, ah! People are following Jesus because of his works. And he's picking these 12 men, you're going to be my ambassador. He gives them power to work this, these, these miracles. What an opportunity these 12 men have. Short-term missions trips are great, aren't they? How many have been on a short-term missions trip? A handful of us. They're fun. 
They, 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 they help us, they, we may maybe learn another language, we get to meet different people, we, we gather maybe with our friends and family to go on a missions trip, you see how a different culture works, right? You see, you know, bugs that maybe you don't normally see, that was a, I think a beetle on steroids, uh, it was on my shoe one morning, you know? See, these types of trips allow us to see how the gospel is universal across the globe. And the experiences that God has us go through on these trips may spark an interest for missions or may spark an interest to come back here and live differently because you see how those Christians, like we would say, our culture is. So we come back and we live differently. See, Jesus was preparing these 12 men for their future to be representation for himself. Paul mentioned that word also in two of his epistles. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 20. He uses that word ambassador. He says this, Therefore we are, say it with me, ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Then over in Ephesians chapter 6, he's talking to the church of Ephesus, and he says this, And also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am, and say with me, ambassador in chains that I may boldly declare, or declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Brothers and sisters, guess what? I know this, is 2000, this story is 2,000 years removed, but we are ambassadors of Jesus Christ. We are representation of our Lord. So what were the instructions on the short-term missions trip that, that, that Jesus gives them? Verse 7, two by two. I grew up in a, a Baptist church, and Monday night was visitation night. And we would come to the church, and two by two, they'd send you out, and you'd go, and, you know, we didn't have to wear suits and ties because we had, we had to separate ourselves from being Mormons. So we couldn't, people didn't want to, they would just shut the door on you. So we would go two by two and follow the pattern what Jesus was sending here with his disciples. Verse 8, no food, no bag, no money. Okay, ladies, you thinking about this a minute? Moms, you thinking about this? When we go on a missions trip, if I told you, don't bring anything. Just a set of clothes and we're good to go. You'd be like, we ain't going on that missions trip. Wear sandals and carry a staff. Only one tunic, not two. Again, that's the idea of something carrying an extra garment for warmth. So ladies, it would be saying, hey, don't bring that extra sweater. Okay, one tunic. And they were to preach repentance. See, they were following the pattern of who? John the Baptist was preparing the way, and he was preaching repentance. He wasn't preaching this, 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 this mystical, spiritual, feel-good message. It was repentance about repenting and turning to the kingdom of God. You may look at this list and say, what? What's he trying to, to teach the disciples? So, Come with me, man. You're one of the disciples. You've just seen Jesus being rejected in his own hometown, okay? And now he's telling you to go out. I don't want you to take anything. You, you, just, you need to go out, and you go preach repentance. Here's what you preach. I know what I'd be thinking. Okay, so Jesus, what if we like, had a really nice message, like, like a Joel Osteen, a Stephen Furtick-type feel-good message, you know, something that makes people feel good? And then we'll just, just we'll throw in repentance. How about, how's that sound? Because you were rejected in Nazareth, so we got to kind of pull them in. Or moms, I've got experiences as a youth pastor, when Jesus says, don't bring anything in your bag. But, but Pastor Jason, can my kid bring this one thing? Right? And you're smiling, you're laughing because you know that was you. 
Can you imagine being a disciple and you're, you can't bring anything? You're not packing that extra little snack or that extra commodity that you need. No, you are relying on what Jesus is telling you. And why we ask? It's very simple. Jesus was teaching his disciple to be totally dependent on him. Totally dependent on him. It's like Jesus would say, men, pack lightly. It's going to be a long haul, and people aren't going to like you. Are you ready? How many would sign up for that mission? Eh, probably none of us would. See, these men understood our first principle this morning for those people that are, 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 don't, don't know Jesus, and you're seeking out faith in, in Christ. You need to come to Jesus. He will change your life. These men did that. They came to Jesus. They followed Jesus, and Jesus changed their life. The second principle this morning is this. As we see Jesus teaching his disciples, we need to trust God in everything. We need to trust God in everything. These men in the area of food, clothing, money, don't bring it. Don't worry about it. You will be taken care of. Well, how about our lives? What haven't we put total trust in God or given it to God? Our finances, our health, our jobs, our relationships, our, our ministries, neighbors, our schools, young people, our schools, teachers, peers. What is it that we have not, oh God, I, I trust you in this, but you know this, I just, I'm going to worry about it a little bit more because I'm going to try to fix this. Trust God in everything. Paul tells us this in Philippians chapter 4, 6 through 7. What's he say? He tells here that as he's in prison, <laughs> Do not be anxious. Do not worry about anything. How many of us, if I was to ask a raise of hands, probably all of us violate this every day, don't we? Because we do worry. And that's something that we need to work on to put our trust in God for everything. But everything with prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. And the peace, the tranquility, the calmness of God will surpass all understanding and will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. See, Jesus trained these men on their first short-term missions trip here to trust him in everything. This is something that believers 2,000 years removed from this story. We, should need, we need to continue to live and understand as we are disciples for him in the 21st century. So what were, what were the instructions that Jesus gave them? Okay, here's what you're not to bring. Here's what you're to bring. Look at verse 10. And he said to them, whenever you enter a house and stay there until you depart from there, and if any place will not receive you and they will not listen to you, when you leave, shake off the dust that is on your feet as a testimony against them. Now I want you with your pen, if you have a pen, I want you to put there on the, so on, on the side Matthew chapter 10. If we turn to me, you don't have to. If you turn to Matthew, Matthew's account of this story, Jesus gets a little bit more particular in what you tell people that reject this message of repentance. And I'll just give you the summary. If they reject this message, Jesus wanted them to tell them, it's better for you to be in the city of Sodom and Gomorrah on Judgment Day. Ugh. Is that a message you want to go proclaim to the people of repentance? Verse 12, so they went out and proclaimed that people should repent. And they cast out many demons and anointed with oil many who were sick and healed them. Remember, Jesus lived it. They seen Jesus being rejected, preaching repentance. So now this is what they were to do. Verse 6, he continued to teach in the villages. He didn't let rejection bother him. 
Jesus was telling them, hey, listen, as you go to place to place, you go house to house, don't be picky and choosy about whose house you're going to. I'm going to go, this house looks really nice. I think the accommodations here are super nice. Yeah, I bet you they have steak and lobster in this place. We're going to go to this place. See, after all, they were to be profitable servants, not pampered guests. They had a mission. There is a manuscript in the early church that was written called Dedaka. Now, Dedaka, there was these false preachers, these false missionaries that would be sent out two by two to mimic true followers of Jesus. And there was this, this manual that was written that helped individuals sniff out false teachers. Dedaka was called. There were three things that shown you were a false teacher. Asking for money, asking for food, and staying over a week. So uh, I think if you turn on TBN Network, those first two (laughs) is a red flag for you. Asking for money. Hey, listen, could you give me me a couple bucks here? I'm serving the Lord. I'm out. We're out traveling. We're, 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 We're proclaiming the message of Christ. False teacher. Or, hey, listen, I'm, I'm really tired. Could you make me some dinner? I'm, I'm out serving the Lord and, and sharing his message. False teacher in this time. And so this is what the early church had to deal with and try to figure out who were the true missionaries and preachers and who were the false. And this manual was created to give some help that went against why Jesus had these 12 go out and share. So our third principle for today is this. And we see it in the first six, six verses. Rejection comes with the territory. Understand that rejection comes with the territory. See, there will be times in your life we'll share, we'll live the gospel, we will have conversations with, pe- with people, and they'll just say, no, I don't want it. They may get angry with you. They may be, be, angry, uh, be upset with you. They may be harsh with you. They will reject you. They will, may make fun of you. Guess what? It's okay. Why? Because we see here in Mark chapter 6, this has happened to Jesus. He's preparing his disciples for this possibility. See, there's one of two options that you can, can participate in. One, live scared the rest of your life when you're rejected. I can't do that anymore. I, I, just, I just can't take it. You know, my, oh, I, just, I just gotta let someone else do that. Or two, as Jesus tells them, shake off the dust of your feet and move on. Because there's someone God is preparing to hear that message. And we don't know who that is. God does. So that, that, that symbol of shaking off the dust of, the, of, of your sandals, that was symbolic in Jewish culture. When a Jew would enter into Israel and out of, out of Gentile land, that's what they would do. They would shake the dust off their feet, kind of like, okay, I'm getting this dirty stuff off my feet because they're Gentiles. I don't want to have anything Gentile stuff on me. Well, Jesus was saying when you were rejected, just, hey, shake the sandals off. All right, time to move on. Time to move on. You see, Jesus was always teaching his disciples, as he taught them here in Mark 6, to live with purpose. Church, we must be reminded ourselves every day, why are you at your job? Why, kids, are you at your school? Families, why are you in your community? I don't like my community. I don't like my neighbors. You're there for purpose. Why are you there? Are you there to share the gospel? You're there to be a testimony. You're there for purpose. So what do we do when we're rejected? What do we do when we're persecuted? What do we do when we're insulted? 
as we see happening here with Jesus, and we know the disciples were being prepared for that very thing. Look at 1 Peter chapter 4, 12 to 14. We've, we've, we've talked about this verse many times. Peter is talking to a group of Christians who are being persecuted. As Paul was praying for the persecuted church this morning, at this very moment, there are Christians that are running for their life. He's, Paul's talking to a group of Christians that are experiencing that type of persecution, persecution that would lead to death. And here's what he says to them. Look at verse 12 in 1 Peter 4, verse 12. Beloved, don't be surprised. Or that word there in the Greek means unexpected. Or like, oh, I can't believe this is happening to me. Oh, don't be surprised. It's not unexpected. At, don't be ex- unexpected at the fiery trials when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange was happening to you. So when you're rejected for sharing your faith, when someone makes fun of you, don't be like, I can't believe that. That's just not fair. Expect it. Expect the reject. Don't be surprised when strange things happen to you. Look at verse 13. But what? Say it with me. I can't hear you. Rejoice insofar as you share. And that word share, I, that means you are, we are joining with Christ in his suffering. Have we joined with Christ in his suffering? We know what he has done for us on the cross And as we live our lives as Christians and we understand we're going to feel rejection, we're going to be insulted, and we may get persecuted, but we encounter it with joy because we get to share in Christ's suffering. Look at verse 14. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, what's it say there? You are what? Blessed. That's all right, Lou. Wrong answer. That's all right. (laughs) Carolyn's just not going to give you dinner today. That's, That's all right, Lou. If you are insulted, you are blessed. What is it, Lou? Good, all right. You are blessed. See, insulted and blessed just doesn't seem to come together, does it? In my dictionary, how can you be blessed if you're insulted? Well, Peter's telling these Christians, listen, when you're insulted, when you're made fun of, you're blessed because the spirit of glory of God rests upon you. So we see Jesus here now training these, these, these 12 men to go out. So Mark, again, is, again he, when he writes, he's writing, again, Jesus is doing this, he's doing this, he's going here. Now we look here in verse 14. Now we bring King Herod into it. It's, this is the reaction of Jesus' ministry, the reaction of Jesus' ministry. What are people saying about Jesus' ministry? Well, King Herod is going to react to it here. Verse 14, King Herod heard of it, for Jesus' name had become known, which we know. Some say John the Baptist has been raised from the dead. That is why these miracle, miraculous powers are, are at work in him. But others say he is Elijah, and others say he is a prophet like one of the prophets of old. So here has Jesus come on the scene. He's doing all these great wonders and miracles, and people are like, who is this guy? Some people say he was Elijah. Well, we read in the, in the last chapter of Malachi, Malachi 4, we know that Elijah's coming back at some point as a prophet. Well, they say, it's Elijah, he's coming back. Well, look what Herod said. Look at verse 16. And Herod said, when he heard of this, he said this, John, whom I beheaded, has been raised. He thought it was John. This has to be John the Baptist coming, because he's the one that had, and we'll talk about it, he had John the Baptist beheaded. For it was Herod who had sent and seized John, bound him in prison for the sake of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, because he had married her. For John had been saying to Herod, it is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. Now, again, talk a little bit about John the Baptist. John did not mince words. He preached repentance, and Herod and Herodias did not like 
what John was saying from his prison cell. You shouldn't be in that relationship. You're in sin. I can't believe you did. Can you imagine John, John the Baptist? Crazy John. It says in verse 19, And Herodias had a grudge against him and wanted him to be put to death, but she could not. There's a couple of things. As we look at hermeneutics or biblical interpretation, we want to understand culturally as we read a text. And we have to understand, we're talking about Herod here. We need to understand a little bit about Roman life understand who this Herod was. Let me just say this. When you climb up Herod's family tree, it's a mess. You, after you get to the first limb, you want to jump off because it's, it's, it's really that crazy. So this particular Herod, Herod of Antipas, who we're reading about, his dad, Herod the Great, was the same Herod who had all the Jewish babies killed when Jesus was on the run when he was born. Remember that story. He had ten wives. Okay, so there's part of the family tree that's a little awry. Herod the Great had sons murdered. He had wives murdered. He had the whole Jewish Sanhedrin murdered at one point because they disagreed with him. This is Herod the Great. There's a statement in, in the Roman culture that says, it is better to be a pig in Herod's court than to be his son. That's how crazy Herod was. Now, Herod, Herod Antipas was, was the fourth, was born of the fourth wife. He was, who was a Samaritan. And so this is the Herod in which is in Mark chapter 6. But Herod, look at verse 20. Herod feared John, knowing that he was circles righteous and a holy man, and he kept him safe. When he heard him, he was greatly perplexed, meaning he was at a loss of what he was saying and was maybe confused him, but he heard him out. He heard him. He would listen to John. He, he was no John was not a respecter of person. He told Herod what he needed to tell him, but Herod respected John. He kept him alive in the prison cell. Our fourth and final principle this morning is a look at John, and it's this. Your, rep your reputation will define you. Your reputation will define you. Ask yourself this question. What is your reputation spiritually at your job, at your school, at home, in your community? What are you known for? Oh, they know me as a Christian, do they? What kind of Christianity are you living in front of them? You see here, John's in prison. Herod, the crazy psychopath, Herod, looks at him. You're a righteous and holy man. So how do people view you spiritually? Are you a faker? Are you someone who just pretends and says all the right things and right in front of the right people and then behind, their, behind Christian and Christianity or behind the backs of Christians, you live your life as the world? Are you a hypocrite? Say one thing, do another. Are you a careless, apathetic Christian? Because, eh, whatever, I can take or leave it. What kind of vibe are you putting off at your job, at home, at school? Can you say, can people say, you're a righteous man, you're a holy man, you're a holy man, holy woman, a righteous woman, the way that you live? Your reputation will define you. Let's continue as we overview, as we close this morning, Mark 6. There's a couple of things we just need to know here as we come out of the story of John the Baptist. We know how John the Baptist was, was murdered. Herodias was Herod's wife. Well, wasn't his first wife. So let me just explain a little bit about this family tree again. Okay, so um, Herod's seen, he had, he had many brothers. As you can tell, if your dad had ten wives, there was many little Herods running around, all right? And so Herodias, 
was the daughter of one of Herod's half-brothers and also was the wife of one of his half-brothers. That has Jerry Springer written all over it. Do you remember that? <laughs> Just the crazy craziness of this family. Herodias was a very loose woman. And we read through the story. I'm not going to read through. I'll just give it an overview here. We see that he was, John was beheaded, was called by Herodias because John the Baptist was preaching sin and repentance to this family. And she didn't like it. So it was Herod's birthday party. And we understand a birthday party in Roman culture, it was only a male event for the king. This was a bachelor party. And just to say what it is, that's what was happening here. There was no women allowed. So you can understand the language, you can stand, understand the actions, you understand what kind of party this was. The, the who's who in Rome was at this party. And Herodias had his, her daughter, who was Herod's stepdaughter and niece, anyway, dance for him. Moms, can you imagine allowing your 16, 7-year-old daughter to be in that environment? This is the Roman culture. And long story short, Herod says, I'll give you whatever you want, which was a vain promise. It, Herod, the rulers of Rome, could not do that per the bylaws of Rome. It was a vain promise. But what, he, what she asked for was Herod's head. I mean, John the Baptist's head. And of course, we know the rest of the story. He was murdered for preaching repentance, for preaching truth. How's your reputation? What do people know you as? As we close, look at verse 30, Mark 6. It says here the apostles come back after their short-term missions trip. And the apostles returned to Jesus and told him all they had done and taught. I would love to be in that little round table around the campfire on that one. The stories of hope, the stories of repentance, maybe the stories of craziness that was going Yeah, we were in this one person's house. Man, woo! The food they served us there. Can you imagine the conversation? But they were learning about how to present and share Jesus. Listen, it's about action, brothers and sisters. And we, you can sit in this room each and every week and you can get all the facts, but we have to go out and live it. See, this is what discipleship is about. It's about going and doing, using our gifts and abilities. It's about being a disciple. That's what being a disciple is. Use, go, go and use these gifts God has given us. There's three things I think is beneficial as being a disciple. What we need to do is we're always looking to use our gifts. Always on the move to use our gifts and abilities that God has given us. Two, make other disciples and share. Make other disciples and share. Jesus was two by two. Those individuals were going to towns and they were sharing and they were replicating. Do you see how this works? Because the final point is they represented Christ. They were following the example Christ put before them. They've seen everything Jesus was doing. Now they were replicating. Church, that's what we do as the body of Christ. Amen? We replicate so others can get saved and you and your sphere of influence can disciple and share. And, and you see how the body grows. See, if we remain inactive, there are three things that will happen. We will become apathetic in the things of God. We will become apathetic in the things of God. Number two, when you start becoming apathetic in the things of God, you start complaining about things of God. 
things about church, things about ministry. Because you're not active. You're not excited. You're not using your gifts to the, with the excitement of things that are happening around you. You start complaining. That means you're a stagnant disciple. We, we went to the Alexander Bible College yesterday to watch a basketball game, and it was the alumni versus the current team. <laughs> you talk about stagnant. So you have guys in their 30s and 40s playing against guys who are 18, 19, 20 years in the best shape of their life. After two minutes, I was ready to leave the game because it was bad. Why? Because these guys, eh, you know, they're, they're, you guys, I haven't touched the ball in five years. <laughs> yeah, you can tell, right? Many of us, that's how we live our Christian life. For some of us, we're, we're Christians, we're, we're followers of Jesus, but we're not actively sharing. We're not actively being a disciple. We're not, we're not following Jesus. We're just, we're comfortable where we're at. Brothers and sisters, that's got to change. Or you will be stagnant in your faith. And we don't want that. So brothers and sisters, listen. If you're here today, you don't know Jesus, we want you to come to Jesus. He will change you. You put your faith and trust that He will change your life. Two, brothers and sisters, trust God in everything. As Jesus taught his followers to go on the short-term mischief. Trust God in everything. And understand this, Christian. Number three is this. Rejection comes with the territory. We will be rejected. We will be hated. It's, it's, it's in the manual. It's in the manual God's given us. If they hate him, they're going to hate us. And number four, listen, our reputation will define you. How do people view you outside of church? It's important that people understand that as John the Baptist was a righteous and holy man, will people see you as someone they can trust in the area of their life, that you can pray for them, that you can, they can put their trust in you because of how you live your life according to God's word. I hope you can take this with you this week and learn how to be disciples, followers of Jesus that will make an impact on our world. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this day. Thank you for all you've done for us. Lord, allow us, Father, to to uh, live these truths, these principles. Father, if there's, there's individuals here that uh, are here today or are watching that don't know you as Savior, we pray, Father, they would make that decision because you will change their life. God, and direct us this week. And we ask this in your son's holy and precious name. Amen. So as Pastor Frank mentioned, so if you're visiting, you don't need to stay. This is for our members. Just talk about some renovations.